Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. This show has been pre-recorded on Saturday, February the 20th, to be rebroadcasted on Monday, February 22nd, 2021 at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Live in Austin, Texas on KOOP 91.7 FM and streaming live at coop.org. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 44th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on co-op radio in 2002. Has been investigating and seeking to present genuine truth-seeking perspectives of how U.S. foreign policy impacts majority populations around the world. We also seek to identify other human-generated behaviors that either create or aggravate human misery outcomes in the world that by definition are preventable and therefore reversible. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world on the world population is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice driven people, that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is too often we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Therefore, this show is dedicated to critically evaluating all information before accepting it as believable and as worthy for becoming the foundation for building our worldview understandings upon. Tonight our focus is on Black History Month. The Bringing Light into Darkness Monday News and Analysis 2021 Black History Format schedules four shows to themes associated with what created the conditions for Black Lives Matter to materialize. We continue our series of shows on Black history with a focus tonight on U.S. foreign policy and the contradictions that are hidden by our media complicity with U.S. foreign policy interests. The second half of the show, we will begin our conversation about the African country Libya and the U.S.-led illegal invasion and overthrow of Libya and what it has created for the Libyan population of some six-plus million people. We hope you enjoy our Black History series, which continues right now. Enjoy. Uh, welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. Monday News and Analysis is your host, Pedro Gatos. There are truths, there are half-truths, and there are falsehoods. An intentional falsehood is a lie. Bringing Light into Darkness is a show dedicated primarily to the impact 
and the character of the United States foreign policy upon the majority population of the world, particularly since World War II. In my studies, I have discovered that power, too, often wields greater power through framing and reframing events that occur in the world in order to not get at the truth, but to rationalize and to legitimate oppression rather than question and obliterate it. The result is that it primarily functions to rationalize and justify the status quo, which benefits a few at the direct and inverse cost to the vast majority's best interest. On this show, we have repeatedly documented the incredible and unsustainable levels of wealth disparity in the United States and in the world, and we will continue to do so because of its importance in creating the great excesses of misery for the majority populations of the world, while it misshapes humanity's experience in the world in which we live. With that wealth disparity comes great levers of power at the disposal of that few that seek to disguise different forms of oppression as normal, inevitable, and despite its profound and systematic unfairnesses, it portrays it as even democratic. With that wealth disparity comes special privileges and advantages to the few, none more important than the control of information. Media has long been a business interest first and as a consequence has been greatly compromised as a purveyor of quote-unquote news. Therefore, we are not an informed electorate, but instead too often a misinformed electorate, because if we were informed, we would have recognized and corrected oppression and unfairnesses a long time ago. With respect to the concentration of media, there was an article that cited these dangers. We've talked about this in the past, but this article, The Dangers of Concentration of Media Ownership, recently published by uh, February 8th, 2021, by Kia Rahula from the berkeleyhijacket.com site. And basically, it was just talking about the concentration of media that just six media conglomerates now control U.S. media. And as a result, the diversity of viewpoints are reduced and a potential for the suppression of information that is at odds with the interests of the parent corporations that own the media is a driving force. So think about that. We're so quick to claim that other countries are brainwashed by media-controlled central governments, yet there is no greater centralization of information than six corporations owning the 90% of all of the information that's made available through mainstream media here in our country. This is basically what Herbert Marcuse was warning us of back in the 1970s with his book, One Dimensional Man, that we had a closed universe of discourse. That closed universe are these six corporations. So the article indicates, quote, in 1983, the United States media was controlled by 50 companies. There were nine companies ruling in the 1990s. And by 2020, the number shrank to six. AT&T, which had bought Time Warner, Columbia Broadcasting System, or CBS, Comcast, Disney, News Corp, and Viacom. This means that a huge amount of the media companies are connected. And Comcast is, for instance, the parent company of NBC News, MSNBC, and Universal Pictures. The article goes on, and I just want to highlight a couple of more points. Quote, not only are there six conglomerates alone that mainly own the media, but these six are so interconnected that they are practically one. They cite a 2003 study in the Columbia Journalism Review found that there were 45 of the same members on the boards of directors of Time Warner, 
Viacom, and Disney. Additionally, the main conglomerates share 141 joint ventures, for example, Hulu, which is owned by Disney and Comcast. This means that these companies can create an echo chamber protecting the same ideas and working together to advance mutual interests. So the article claims that the concentration of media ownership and corporate conflicts of interest are threatening the truth. And they cite evidence of yet another study that indicated that 14 local stations surveyed in a 2017 study that was done by Sinclair Broadcast Group And they found that phrases such as death tax instead of estate tax or illegal aliens instead of undocumented immigrants suggested that corporate bias is slanting information and undermining the ideal of an objective press from liberal to more conservative. However, what this article does not suggest is what bringing light into darkness believes is even the more powerful truth. The concentration of media, simply put, suggests that those that own the overwhelming disproportionate wealth also own the media. They own the purveyors of ideas. Thus, they can shape and create false truths, things people believe, but which in fact are false or grossly misleading. This article we're referring to cites how more conservative perspectives related to immigration and suggestions of proper taxation rates are generally more pejoratively positioned in the mainstream news. The same could be said for the false presentation of Medicare for All by mainstream media, the discrediting of Medicare for All. They may own the media, they may own the ideas of the epic, but if COVID-19 has shown us anything, it's that our healthcare system is a disgrace and that Medicare for All should be its replacement. But we are so brainwashed, we can't see this obvious truth. But our point tonight has to do with foreign policy. Regardless of liberal or conservative points of view, the media has been complicit in allowing incredible distortions of the truth or perceived truth to lead the United States public to be played as a bunch of chumps into believing falsehoods that have led us to unjust after unjust war. These wars have lined the pockets of a few while decimating the lives of millions throughout the world. Yet there has been zero accountability to the liars and purveyors of these war crimes. Vietnam, millions of Vietnamese died. 58,000 United States soldiers died. In Iraq, if you include the sanctions that occurred following the first Iraq war, in which we actually intentionally bombed water treatment facilities. This is documented by a a defense intelligence agency, a DIA. It was partially declassified memo in January of 1991 called Iraq Water Treatment Vulnerabilities. This was discovered by Dr. Thomas Nagy at George Washington University. And he wrote a paper in June of 2001 and basically just cited this government document that these water treatment facilities, if targeted and were targeted, and the destruction that it would create in Iraq. As a result, hundreds of thousands of children died. 500,000 children died, many of them from waterborne illnesses caused by the conscious decisions of the U.S. military during the first Gulf War sanction period. Hundreds of thousands of people died because we destroyed intentionally the water infrastructure of Iraq. This is in this document, U.S. government document. This has been a repeated behavior. 
It's not just in Iraq. It later occurred in Libya that we'll be talking about later in 2011. And in Yemen, right now, the sanitation and water facilities are being destroyed throughout the base of which civilians are dependent upon. There is no greater war crime than to kill children and women, to kill anybody. All of these war crimes are a direct result of U.S. foreign policy. It was the Obama administration that initiated the Yemen crisis and war in 2015. Obviously, it was the Bush administration that was responsible for Iraq. And then again, the Obama administration in Libya in 2011. All civilian water sites essentially successfully compromised. Ask yourself why this is not front news every day. And the answer should be lesson one about oppression and mind management. As a result, we were lied to repeatedly in the lead up to the first Gulf War that we'll just see presently as a case study of how we were lied to. When you combine that first Gulf War with the Iraq invasion of 2003 and its aftermath, over a million Iraqis died. We were lied to repeatedly. Saddam was harboring Al-Qaeda. That proved to be a lie. Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. That proved to be a lie. Saddam was connected to 9-11 attacks in the United States. That was a lie. A year or two after the war had even begun in 2003, most of Americans still believed many of these lies. But these were all falsehoods, which Democrats, Republicans, and our mainstream press were complicit in. Over a million, not 10, not 100, not tens of thousands of deaths, of Iraqi deaths, has been erased from public memory, but it's been a million, over a million. And the fact of this million is essentially never reported. We are never told. In Syria, we dedicated a whole show back on November 30th, 2020, in which we documented how Secretary of State John Kerry provided not one, but close to half dozen misrepresentations, lies, if you will, to Congress in early September 2013, seeking to get congressional authorization to have massive U.S. airstrikes due to alleged but clearly unproven accusations by John Kerry and President Obama that Syrian government was responsible for the August 21st, 2013 gas attacks in Damascus, Syria. All of his claims were never substantiated, yet presented to Congress as absolute certainties of fact. In bringing light into darkness, I can assure you, is an honest attempt to get at the truth. We have been lied to in Vietnam, lied to in Iraq. We were lied to about Syria. We were lied to about Ukraine and lied to about Russia being the great aggressor in the world today. All for what? To distract us from the truth, the real truth? We have documented all of these assertions on other shows. In fact, you can contact us for these show excerpts that document these claims, which we will not redocument tonight. Tonight, we want to revisit examples of the methods our government have used to allow us to believe, which in fact were outright false, or in fact had been deliberately and deceitfully misrepresented, so that we would begrudgingly or not begrudgingly fall into line to support our troops. Listen to this testimony that preceded the United States Congress giving President Bush, that would be George H.W. Bush, the first Gulf War president, the authority to bomb Iraq on behalf 
of the Kuwaitis. This was back in the 1990-1991 period. And before we go to that clip, just to reiterate, as this article that we cited above did, of the power of media, the media, it, its power in influencing the way we see the world, especially politically, the media fails to provide us with unbiased information, according to the author and the concentration of medias in the wealthiest few. And if we don't have unbiased information, we can't make accurate judgments. As Jim Morrison, lead vocalist of the rock band The Doors, remarked, quote, whoever controls the media controls the mind, end quote. Other people have said similar remarks back in the 1800s, in fact, that those who control the wealth control not just the media, but the ideas of an epic. They largely control how we think, how we are taught to think, much in the same way that advertising seeks to control our choices and does so rather successfully. Or else why would billions and billions of dollars every year be spent on advertising? That's why our motto is always and will always be do not believe everything you think. We need to critically evaluate each piece that create the foundation for our beliefs. Anyhow, with that introduction, I want to go ahead and turn to a 1990 testimony, which essentially propelled the United States into the first Gulf War, but later was proved to be based on a lie. It was in October 1990, a 15-year-old Kuwaiti girl gave a harrowing testimony before the Congressional Human Rights Caucus, recounting inhumane atrocities committed by Iraqi soldiers in her country. It was credited for helping draw the United States into the Gulf War later that year. In fact, several senators claimed, based on that testimony, they voted to go to war. Her claims were ultimately refuted by evidence to the contrary, exposing deceptive motives and sources behind the ploy. The woman, the girl, was called Nayare, N-A-Y-I-R-A-H, the 15-year-old girl told the caucus that Iraqi soldiers had removed scores of babies from incubators and left them to die. Her story was originally corroborated by Amnesty International and other evacuees at the time. But was it public relations or fake news? According to the New York Times, the girl's testimony was actually orchestrated by the big public relations firm Hill and Knowlton on behalf of a client that Kuwaiti sponsored citizens for a free Kuwait. The client's aim was to secure military support from the U.S. through raising awareness about the dangers posed to Kuwait by Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. It turned out that the girl that gave the testimony was also revealed not to be just an ordinary civilian, but the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador to the United States. These facts are detailed in an article by the fake news in 1990 that propelled the United States into the first Gulf War by Jack Zhang, Z-I-O-N-G is his last name. He wrote this article in 2018 of May 7th for citizentruth.org. This is about a six-minute clip. Listen to it, and we will discuss it. So this is a YouTube that's about six minutes long. It features a testimony of Narira that we uh, alluded to earlier. 
It's from 1990. The male voice that you will be hearing at the beginning and at the end of the audio is that of Republican caucus co-chair, Republican from Illinois, Representative John Porter. This is the Congressional Human Rights Caucus testimony. So let's, let's listen to it now. Thank you very much. Our final witness is also using an assumed name. And again, we ask uh, our friends in the media to respect the need to, for her to protect her family. And we finally call on Naira to testify. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, my name is Naira, and I just came out of Kuwait. My mother and I were in Kuwait on August 2nd for a peaceful summer holiday. My older sister had a baby on July 29th, and we wanted to spend some time in Kuwait with her. I only pray that none of my 10th grade classmates had a summer vacation like I did. I may have wished sometime that I could be an adult, that I could grow up quickly. What I saw happen to the children of Kuwait and to my country has changed my life forever. It has changed the life of all Kuwaitis, young and old. We are children no more. My sister, with my five-day-old nephew, traveled across the desert to safety. There was no milk available for the baby in Kuwait. They barely escaped when their car was stuck in the desert, desert sand, and help came from Saudi Arabia. I stayed behind and wanted to do something for my country. The second week after an invasion, I volunteered, volunteered at the Aladan Hospital with 12 other women who wanted to help as well. I was the youngest volunteer. The other women were from 20 to 30 years old. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators, took the incubators, and left the children to die on the cold floor. It was horrifying. I could not help but think of my nephew, who, if born premature, might have died that day as well. After I left the hospital, some of my friends and I distributed flyers condemning the Iraqi invasion until we were warned we might be killed if the Iraqis saw us. The, Iraqis saw us. the Iraqis have destroyed everything in Kuwait. They, they stripped the supermarkets of food, the pharmacies of medicine, the factories of medical supplies, supplies ransacked their houses, and tortured neighbors and friends. I saw and talked to a friend of mine after his torture and released by the Iraqis. He is 22, but he looked as though he could have been an old man. The Iraqis dunked his head into a swimming pool until he almost drowned. They pulled out his fingernails and applied electric shock to sensitive private parts of his body. He was lucky to survive. If an Iraqi soldier was found dead in a neighborhood, they burned to the ground all the houses in the general vicinity and would not let firefighters come until, the, until the only ash and rubble was left. The Iraqis were making fun of President Bush and verbally and physically abusing my family and me on our way out of Kuwait. We only did so because life in Kuwait became unbearable. They have forced us to hide, burn, and destroy everything identifying our country and our government. I want to emphasize that Kuwait is our mother and the Emir our father. We repeated, we repeated this on the roofs of our houses in Kuwait until the Iraqis began shooting at us. And we shall repeat it again. I'm glad I'm 15, old enough to remember Kuwait before Saddam Hussein destroyed it, and young enough to rebuild it. Thank you. Mayor, I thank you. Let me thank all of our witnesses. Uh, we've uh, 
past eight years in the existence of the Congressional Human Rights Caucus, we've had scores of hearings about human rights abuses throughout the world. And I know my co-chairman, Tom Lantos, will join me in telling you that we have never heard in all this time, in all circumstances, a record of inhumanity and brutality and sadism as the ones that the witnesses have given us today. I don't know how the people of the civilized countries of this world can fail to do everything within their power to remove this scourge from the face of our earth and the witnesses by providing to us eyewitness accounts and reports detailing the conduct of the Iraqi soldiers under the command of Saddam Hussein have done a great service to their country and to ours and to all countries of the world who must join together and take whatever action may be necessary to free the people of Kuwait from this aggression and brutality. Tom Lantos. According to the New York Times in 1992, the girl's testimony was actually orchestrated by the public relations firm Hill and Knowlton on behalf of the client, the Kuwaiti-sponsored Citizens for a Free Kuwait. The client's aim was to secure military support from the United States through raising awareness about the dangers posed to Kuwait by Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. The girl who gave the testimony was also revealed to be not just an ordinary civilian, but the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador to the U.S., as we mentioned. This is documented by the article of the fake news in 1990 that propelled the United States into the first Gulf War by Jack Ziong, X-I-O-N-G, May 7th, 2018, and it was posted on citizentruth.org. But first, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. Please stay tuned. I want to remind you, this is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness, and we will be back after this. 